Hello everyone, it is The Insurgents, episode 11, and it's Rob Rousseau here. And I'm Jordan Yule. What's up, Rob? Wow. <laughs> Turning a new leaf, I figured this is <laughs> these are trying, trying times. Uh, we yeah. don't know what the future's going to look like. This is, uh, you know, it's no time for jokes. Yeah, I've got enough stress so. on my plate. I don't need to be worried about, you know, is Jordan going to do the intro- introduction of the show properly or is he going to try, try to try to bug me? So thank you. I appreciate <laughs> no, that. No, I wouldn't. I would never joke. Yeah, I would, no, no, <laughs> me neither. Me neither. And you know what's not a laughing matter is hmm. uh, the really impressive, steady leadership that we're seeing from the Democratic Party right now in the face of this really unprecedented mm-hmm. uh, health crisis. Yep. Yeah. They have really, you know, I obviously in the past I have criticized the Democratic Party before. I've had some, you know, my issues with certain things that they've done or the way they've gone about governing or, you know, they're not, they're not beyond reproach. But I think no, in this situation, no. But I think right now they are killing it with their response to this this really unprecedented crisis. Yeah. I mean, just the other day you had uh, the Democrats say, hey, we should make uh, paid leave permanent, a permanent benefit. And Republicans said uh, no. And the Democrats were like, OK, that's fine. And that's the kind yeah. of cooperation yeah. that we need in moments like this. Yeah. We can't have this kind of polarization right now, Jordan. America, it's not what America no, we needs. We can't be divided. Uh, they don't need this ideology no. overtaking everything. And that's why I'm really happy with some of the proposals that I'm seeing to get money into the hands of Americans right now that are not able to work. The mm-hmm. whole economy is grinding to a halt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've, I've seen some kind of like really kind of out there left wing socialists like, you know, uh, Mitt Romney, for example. Yeah. Commie. Just saying, yeah, let's just say <laughs> Mitt, Mitt, Com, Mitt Comney. <laughs> Mitt Comney. Something we'll, like we'll figure it out. We'll and he's saying, yeah, we'll, we'll workshop that later. He's saying, let's just give people money. Not the way to do it. What the Democratic Party is doing right now is the way to go. You got to means test that. Yeah, otherwise, yeah. everyone's even the rich people are going to have access to this stuff. You can't have that. No, not at all, dude. They, this is ridiculous. And I think that just like putting in just reasonable, you know, just measured and thoughtful safeguards just to make sure the money is getting in the hands of the right people, the people who need it. Like if people like if you want to just say, hey, you only get help if uh, you starting today, open a small business and then you run it for two years and then we'll help you just to get through this this coronavirus. That's a good idea. The business has to be in like an economically disadvantaged neighborhood, though, or else that doesn't count. Yes, of course. Clearly, that would be the way to do that. And what I'm envisioning here for the Democrats, hopefully someone from the party might be listening, but like, you know, I'm thinking about like a website, some kind of a website. You got it like an Ooh. income slider there. Yeah. You're seeing the benefits. You sh- you type in your income. Mm-hmm. You got a little slider that shows what what income benefits you're, you're, you have access to. I'm thinking uh, tax advantage savings accounts, maybe. Okay. To people that are earning between 65000 and 85000 who are not married. Who have a pet? You got to have that also you have to have in a there because then you have more bills. You have to buy the food. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. You have a little income slider. You see the different benefits that you're getting at, at each stage of income. You know, this is this is the way that you resolve this crisis. This is how you show steady leadership. And uh, so far, I think the Democratic Party is just really, really killing it out there. Yeah, uh, I heard another proposal where where someone was saying if you. Um, uh, go to a, a state school 
and uh, you have anywhere between yes. thirty-five thousand and uh, forty-seven thousand dollars of of student debt left over, that you can qualify for an application for a raffle uh, to get mm-hmm. uh, economic relief right now. And I just think like these are the innovative ways uh, that, that that I just I, I've come to love from the Democratic Party and the way they tackle these crises are just it's I it's like I'm in Silicon Valley with them and I'm here in DC and it's like this is amazing Jordan just because it's the apocalypse and American society is breaking down doesn't mean it's time to give up on means testing that, I, that's what I'm saying <laughs> and that's the point and that's I think if anyone knows us you know we love those types of things the more bells and whistles <laughs> yes. the better So Jordan, um, so we had a little laugh in there in the beginning of the show, talking about the uh, the Democrats' uh, feckless response to uh, <laughs> this crisis that's going on right now, the coronavirus uh, pandemic that is like really rapidly escalating into a terrible, terrible disaster. And it's kind of odd because um, just a few weeks ago on this show, it was I've, I don't think it was even two weeks ago. I've lost all sense of, of time and space, but. On our episode with the Antifada, mm-hmm. uh, we were talking about how, you know, the future playbook of the Republican Party is going to be this, like, uh, socially conservative, fiscally liberal thing. It's going to be like, uh, you know, sort of New Deal liberalism plus uh, plus the sort of nationalism and, and xenophobia and... Uh, how that was going to be a really dangerous situation for the for the Democratic Party and for America in general moving forward because that's a formula that they can really win a lot of power on. And when I mentioned this, I was thinking this was like something maybe, you know, a few years in the future, maybe <laughs> later on in the decade. And I was not expecting like a week later to be faced with this exact situation. But that's what we're seeing in response to this, this uh, pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I guess, unfortunately... You were right. It's just again the timing was was mixed up, and but also shows yeah. the inroads they have been, been right making. What's a blessing and a curse, man? <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the, uh, the the inroads they've made on this front over the past couple of years, I think, were like just you know people didn't pick up on it. You know, you didn't see where the trade winds were blowing, uh, and now this is an opportunity, and this is kind of like almost like a shock doctor, doctrine moment where they can really make great gains. And get applauded by the left in the meantime. Um, so I think we do need to be careful about the the social conservatism components uh, of these these uh, prospects and all these these proposals. Uh, that we, we can't allow that. We absolutely cannot allow them to introduce that into a mainstream base. Uh, so, but but again, because the Democratic Party is so beholden to corporate interests and they're funded by them, and lobbyists are influ- influencing them just as much as the Republicans. Uh, we, you know, we don't really have a strong defense from the left. Uh, we have the progressive wing, which is kind of kept at arm's length or trotted out when need be. But yeah, the Democratic leadership has been fighting progressives for years, and now we're in a moment where strong you don't have you don't have a leg to stand on when you when you try to put these proposals out. Like you you go out and say we we think uh, paid leave should be a permanent benefit, and the Republicans are like no. 
and you just give up? No, make them go explain to the American people why we shouldn't get paid leave. Have them have Mitch McConnell go on TV and explain why we should uh, we should not have paid leave when everyone is now worried about it. It's it just what what did you do? Why did you give up so easily? And it's because the the people who donate to the Republicans are a lot of the same people that donate to Democrats. Well, yeah, and because like the the people like in the Democratic Party establishment now, it's it's not that they're just it's not just that they're obsessed with things like means testing and so opposed to to social democracy and universality, uh, but it's also they just fetishize this like bipartisanship and cooperation, and as we've seen for for many decades now that only ever goes in one direction it only right. ever goes with negotiating with the right and beating down anyone to the left uh and they're just they can't get out of this habit even when you have this massive massive crisis which is also a huge opportunity to really start fighting for big reforms and uh it's really it's disappointing to see but uh, obviously there's nothing they can do it's not like there's a, pre- a candidate right now for the democratic presidential nomination <laughs> who has spent his whole career uh, fighting for these kind of very th- exact things and has an in- incredible amount of credibility when speaking about these things. Uh, unfortunately, no one like that exists. So uh, the Democratic Party oh, wow. is just completely doomed to just con- completely uh, keep keep perpetuating these same cycles over and over and over uh, until, you know, it's, uh, the, um, you know, the Republican Party is doing like uh, universal health care for citizens uh, in about five years from now. And uh right. Unfortunately, there's nothing you can do about it, though. Yeah, and as you allude to, it's that it's the impossible situation that Democrats have created for themselves by beating back progressives, by blacklisting anyone that works for, for progressive primary challengers, for you know deriding them and their ideas for years, and now just continuing to use this this full party apparatus to beat back Bernie by uh, by suggesting any of his proposals which they've called for years is too extreme by suggesting any of his proposals as remedies to this situation they would then have to say oh it's too extreme for bernie to win but also like this is what we need to do right now they can't do that so instead they're just putting forward these meager piecemeal means test bullshit ideas that that do very little in the long run, don't have a substantive effect, don't have a systemic effect, and allow them to continue down this path of corporate democratic leadership. Yeah, so let, let's put a cork in this for now because we're going to explore some of this stuff more with our guest uh, today, which is uh, Anna Kasparian from the Young Turks. Uh, we're really excited to speak with her, and we, we're going to get into all this with Anna, and she's got a whole lot to, to say about it, so uh, we don't need to we don't need to get too much into it right now but before we get to Anna I also did want to mention another thing we've talked about very very recently that seems to be coming true a lot faster than what uh, any of us was anticipating and that is um, the fact that the the United States government right now is going to use this pandemic as cover to uh, really inflict a lot of punishment on vulnerable uh, immigrant uh, communities in the United States whether they're legal immigrants or whether they're undocumented um, a couple of examples. I know there's at least one immigration detention center where uh, a worker there has tested positive for coronavirus. It's it's only a matter of time before this virus gets into uh, this specific detention center and many more around the country. It's really just a ticking time bomb. Um, another thing I believe you sent me today is that uh, ICE LA are literally like putting on uh, 
mask, masking up with like infectious disease masks and going and carrying out these brutal raids in immigrant communities in LA in the midst of this brutal crisis. Uh, I mean, it's fucking terrifying. I mean, this is only the very, very beginning of this. This is only going to get worse. And I don't, I don't, I feel kind of helpless as to like what, what to even do about it. Yeah. I mean, this is, we don't, we, there's very little that you and I can do about it. But I mean, like if you're in those communities, just, and you can, I don't even know what to do because like you, you don't want to encourage people to get out and protest or fight back, but it's just like, oh man, it's demoralizing. I don't look to us for advice on this. Actually, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's fucked up. We got to abolish ice. Absolutely. But actually mean it when we say it yeah yeah that's it i mean i think everyone needs to be really aware of of how bad this is going to get for a lot of these marginalized communities it's like any kind of a crisis any kind of an economic crisis or a health crisis like this um it's always these more these more vulnerable communities that feel the brunt of that uh it's the it's the documented and undocumented uh, immigrants in the united states right now uh it's it's people in prisons uh, it's working class people that are on the front lines of this. I mean, that's one of, been one of the most remarkable things about seeing this this pandemic spread and seeing the like the economy kind of grind to a halt and people stop going to their jobs is we're realizing which jobs in our society are actually important. And a lot of the time, they're the, the people that make the least and get treated the worst by society. People that work in grocery stores, people that work in like nursing homes, sanitation workers, uh, service industry folks, uh, nurses, uh, these people are like the most vital to our society. Uh, and we realize that like, we can't really function without them. And they're the people that are now at worst that are being exposed to this, this virus. Uh, and they're like economically, like they're the ones that get beaten down the most by this current system. It's, it's amazing how this crisis has kind of illuminated that yeah, idea. Yeah, this really, it's its shining a light on how workers are treated in a lot of these different industries. Uh, Kroger is like pretty loudly refusing to offer paid leave to all of its employees. If they get sick, it's, they're not really doing much, um, which is just disastrous because also you can infect the customers too. Um, but Judd uh, Legum with his newsletter, Popular Info, has been doing really good work on holding them accountable. And he got... Uh, he got places like Olive Garden restaurants, um, which is like Olive Garden, Red Lobster, Outback, all those types of things. Those big chains, they're all under this umbrella company. And by through his reporting, he got Olive Garden and all of those restaurants to guarantee paid leave for their wait staff and their for their people to make sure everyone's okay. Um, but this should be the nationwide standard. It shouldn't take someone going. And he's literally to do this. He went to Olive Garden and started asking employees what their situation was like it should not take that like we should have a progressive champion we should have a democratic leader in congress saying no nationwide this is what we need to do and everyone rallies behind them um and refuse to give up on that fight this is just asinine so like uh, we're seeing we're seeing the kind of the class interests at play here uh all those people in congress are going to be fine for the most, like just maybe with the exception of one or two or five or whatever. But for the most part, they're going to be fine. People in government and the federal government, especially at the upper echelons, fine. They're going to be fine. People working at McDonald's, which as Chris Arnade has laid out in his book, Dignity, was so fantastically, McDonald's is not just a fast food restaurant and a place for people to get cheap food if you're struggling. It's also like a place where if you are homeless or, or experiencing homelessness or on, in and out of it, 
It's a place where you can spend your day. It's likely the only place where you're going to get Wi-Fi or can charge your phone. You could pick up an old newspaper and read. You could sit there. You could, a lot of people wash themselves in the bathroom. Like there's it, the role McDonald's plays in a lot of communities. Also, it's a place where you could park your car if you have no home but only have a car. There's just so many different ways that McDonald's. And you can bring your kids. It's cheap childcare if you've got this like yep, yep. place you can bring your kids where they can play and interact with other kids. That's not a super expensive daycare in your community that you can't afford. Right, and it's like it intersects with so many different aspects of different classes in society in different ways. And that McDonald's was exempted from the pay, from paid leave is just asinine. Absolutely insane. It's one of the largest employers in the country. So, 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 so many people work there. And just, yeah, no, you're not bound by it. Because of the, the this convoluted business structure, it's because they were... Um, you know, also they also a lot of places argue that because they're franchises and all these sorts of franchisees, uh, it doesn't count. It's not the same. But absolute bullshit. Shut up. Like the, I cannot believe that the biggest companies got exempted. I mean, I can believe it. Well, yeah, sure, <laughs> it makes I, sense. Yeah. But it's just I. Oh, yeah. Um. Uh, before we before we move off this too, I did just want to briefly mention this debate between uh, Biden and Bernie. I mean, just, just to anyone that's not just like completely. Uh, beholden to the Democratic Party or has their brain melted by uh, cable news. Obviously, there's a candidate in this race that's like it, the absolute perfect person to confront this crisis in Bernie Sanders, someone who's been, you know, fighting his whole career uh, for to almost seemingly to be in this exact kind of position with this this kind of economic crisis, a healthcare crisis. He's got so much credibility talking about this. He's someone that's not going to try and means test uh, the response to this. Uh, he understands the benefit of universality. And of course, as we mentioned, the Democratic Party is doing everything in their power to um, uh, make sure he doesn't win. And I guess I you know I was hoping that in this debate, uh, he was going to be able to draw that contrast with Joe Biden. And hopefully that was going to make some kind of impact in the election even though that's a whole separate conversation, which is now unfolding amidst this health crisis against the the, rec the recommendations of the CDC. It, the whole thing is a complete fucking disaster. Uh, but I did want to talk about this debate just because it just underscores how, I don't want to say futile, but almost futile it is to even try and push back on the establishment. And the fact that Bernie's been able to like make a dent to the extent that he has is almost a fucking miracle. Um, because in this debate, I mean, obviously, I think Bernie was the winner of the debate to the extent that you can win such a thing. But the fact is, um, Biden was just able to completely lie about his record at every opportunity. Uh, he's able to kind of paint this picture that him and Bernie have the same goals, even though everyone knows that they don't. Uh, and then you have a completely like compliant media establishment that did not call him out on any of this stuff that refused to kind of like draw that contrast between the two of them. Uh, and then I, I think the, really the Hail Mary was for Biden to have some kind of a meltdown uh, during this debate. But I guess he got pumped with just the right drug cocktail by his handlers ahead of time that that did not happen. Uh, and then the media was just able to take that that debate and turn it into, oh, Biden looked strong and stable. They didn't call him up for any of the lies that he told. Uh, and I don't think it's going to move the needle. And now you're they're moving ahead with this process. Uh, profoundly undemocratic. This whole thing has been a complete clusterfuck from minute one, and no idea where this is going now. <laughs> yeah. Um, as we mentioned in our conversation with Anna, the, it came out just a little bit ago that the DNC is threatening to 
penalize states if they postpone their primaries um, for literally just following CDC guidelines. Uh, and we're going to see as we get into April, this is going to get a lot worse. Like we're only at the beginning of this and this is really frightening. So for Tom Perez and uh, Democratic leaders and even Joe Biden to call for all, you know, full steam ahead into this is just so deeply repugnant. It's so morally it's just corrupt and bankrupt um i i can't i can't begin to express my frustration because i just have family members who don't have insurance i've got a yeah i've got a two-week-old niece who is doesn't even have an immune system built up yet uh i've got a i got a mom who works uh, at an hourly job with a guy who's refusing to let them uh refusing to offer paid leave i don't even know if it's legal but like my mom doesn't have the money to fight it what's she gonna do um, yeah. So what, the, the enforcement mechanism, a lot of this kind of shit, like what, what, what is she going to do? She's had to like look into unemployment and shit. Um, but that's not a long term solution. And then uh, and, and in her office is people come and go. So I'm now I'm now deeply fearful of a situation where someone comes in, gives it to my mom. She does not realize it because you don't demonstrate symptoms right away. She goes to visit my sister and her two week kid because my mom is just like over the moon about being a grandma now so of she's course, going like, yeah. uh, rightfully so and she's waiting for this her entire life and now she's in a situation where she can't like see her possibly and but if she does and unknowingly infects like my sister or my sister's kid like that's horrifying and just because like this guy won't fucking let her off the hook because of a global pandemic because he thinks it's all politicized and you have assholes like that in business making decisions like because you know the, their state hasn't de- like declared that all non-essential places are closed yet, and this 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 delayed response, aggravated by right-wing ideologues and anti-anti, uh, anti-Semitic, anti-scientific people, <laughs> uh, it was sad. Well, sad that I'm used to saying that. Yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just it's it's deeply concerning. But on an election level, the, the thing is, she could have voted today. Thankfully, Ohio. Uh, didn't have their election today so that was a, that was a step in the right direction um but no one should have to choose between voting uh or not voting and getting a a potentially life-threatening disease yeah and what you pointed out too is that the big health risk right now is not just like people that are symptomatic it's people that are not showing symptoms right continuing to go out into society and interact with people and infect other people right and the Biden campaign before this election said, if you if you feel healthy, go out and it's fine and go and vote, which is literally against what the CDC and what health professionals are saying. Uh, and then when people, especially people aligned with the Sanders camp said, uh, I don't know if this is a good idea. Maybe we should think about postponing this or figuring out a vote by mail system. And then people like Neera Tandon and the Democratic establishment were saying, like, oh, the Bernie campaign is trying to get people not to vote completely cynical like they're literally weaponizing a health crisis which is going to get people killed um and using it to like score points on the bernie sanders campaign even as joe biden's uh campaign puts out uh misinformation about related to this health crisis yep it's it's fucking ludicrous man it's never about it's never about morals or principles with them it's about beating Bernie. It's about retaining power. It's about control and it's about money. And they know that Bernie performs really well in states with mail, uh, vote by mail. That's what we saw uh, so far in the primary. So 
Now I thought you were saying it was states of males because of the Bernie Bros because of his male. Uh, well, that was implied. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like that's a risk. If you empower and also the overlap with that, that, that the correlation there is with voting by mail that allows hourly workers in the working class to have a bigger say in the election, and they don't want that. Why would they want that? Because that jeopardizes their power and control and their yeah. corporate, you know, their corporate scheme. So to do this going forward would really risk uh, this this the situation they have right now, where Biden could be the lock. So, as others have said, and we say we've said, and we'll say again in our interview, their plan here is get through today. If Biden wins, it's shut down the rest. Just Bernie yeah. should drop out. It's but they won't shut down. They won't shut it down because that's just too blatantly anti-democratic. The all guns will be on Bernie say, saying drop yep. out. It's too risky. We can't go forward with this. We just we need yeah. to, we need to defeat Trump. They're going to be very concerned with everyone's health after today. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Suddenly tomorrow <laughs> it's going to be that. Um, yeah. It's so it's going to be that. And if somehow Bernie pulls this off today, they will seek to invalidate the results because of all the snafus. So keep an eye for both. Keep an eye out for both of those scenarios. Whatever happens, if Bernie wins. These these results are are just deeply flawed. We have to extend absentee ballot. Uh, we have to extend uh, mail in whatever absentee voting, or have another primary when it's safe. Something like that. Whatever route they choose, they will seek to undermine the results. If Bernie wins, if he loses tomorrow, it's dropout. It's it's too unsafe. So this is this is so so transparent what they're doing. Um, cannot be condemned enough and there's there's a risk here for people who did show up and vote in person or people who voted in person today or i'm sorry volunteered at these voting locations many of them are in the exact target demo with the highest mortality rates from this thing we cannot say this is anything other than manslaughter this is so fucking corrupt yeah and just this (laughs) i mean this whole process has just been a sham for minute one. It's just, I mean, it, it, the whole it, the whole circus of the Democratic primary is just like so, ironically undemocratic in the first place, and now you include this this pandemic into it, and and there's no way of knowing how the health risks uh, affect turnout today. There's no way of knowing. No one's gonna fucking accept accept the results of this election. Uh, it's a complete disaster. But. We're going to talk about this a little bit more uh, when Anna Kasparian comes on in just a few minutes. Before she comes on, I wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping here, Jordan. Okay. Um, because, okay, folks, I'm talking to the listeners of the show now. Jordan and I are incredibly thrilled at the launch of this show and the audience and the community that's kind of forming around it. Could not be happier with that. Um, when we started doing this, our plan was to... Um, release a bunch of content for free up front and then switch to like a paywall model where you subscribe to uh, Substack, you get one free episode per week and you get one episode behind the paywall. Kind of like, you know, the podcast formula that that everyone knows and loves. A um, <laughs> little bit of a monkey wrench has been thrown into this now where now it seems like society is collapsing. And so we were planning on switching to the sub- subscription model, but... Now it kind of feels like if we were to do that, it's like we're like price gouging people during the apocalypse, which I don't really feel comfortable doing. Um, but with that being said, I would like to say that like we're so we're going to continue doing two episodes per week of this show and we're going to keep it free. Uh, we know everyone has a lot of time on their hands. 
some people's careers are affected by this and they're just not able to, you know, afford, you know, expenses that maybe they would have had otherwise. Um, but, um, for anyone that's listening that, that really has gotten something out of the show that you consider yourself like a fan or a listener, you enjoy it and you do have the ability to uh, contribute and to subscribe on Substack, we would certainly appreciate it. Like I said, we're not going to put anything behind the paywall for now. Um, we want to make sure we, everyone, as many people as possible, can hear this these episodes. But uh, if you are able to contribute uh, to sign up uh, to Substack for five bucks a month, we certainly would appreciate it. It is a lot of work putting the show together, uh, and we've we've both devoted a lot of kind of time and energy to it. So if you're able to. We would certainly appreciate uh, if you subscribed on Substack at the $5 level. Um, and there will also be bonus perks. We're going to have bonus perks uh, in addition to the free content that we're putting out there. Do we want to say what those perks are? I was kind of leaving that up to you, but oh, yes, I can do yeah. that also. I, I, I don't know how to describe <laughs> it as well because I don't really know that whole world. I, I look to you, but it's basically it's a Discord server. Yeah, so if you subscribe at the $5 level... Um, so that's eight episodes per month, which I think is pretty solid. Even if they are technically free, you're also going to be, you're going to get an invite to the, uh, insurgents discord server, which I think considering the, the community that's forming around this show, I think it's going to be really, really cool. The discord server, be fun. um, also, and I can tell you this, uh, I can't promise that Ken Klippenstein is not going to be involved in the discord server. <laughs> he might pop up there sometimes. Oh yeah. I yeah, am. Right. I, I promise you each and every listener, there will be a no Ken Klippenstein allowed channel to the discord server where even if he does, he, he manages to, to get in there somehow uses his hacking skills. There will be a safe space where Ken Klippenstein will not be able to uh, access in the discord server. Yeah. So when we, we pitched this to him, he, he signed off on it, but it was, we'll have a general, you know, if you've been on discord before, you'll have a main channel and anyone can be in there. But then we will also have a separate no Ken channel. So literally anyone in the world, yes. if they subscribe, can get into that room, yeah. except for Ken. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so this is just, we're kind of like still just starting this. There's going to be more perks down the line. If we end up doing merch, like we might be able to figure out something like with that, with the, the, uh, sub subscriptions. Uh, but yes, please, if you enjoy the show, consider subscribing at the $5 level on Substack if you want to support it. But again, I don't even know if money is going to exist in like six <laughs> weeks from now. So if you, if you're not able to, honestly, it's fine. Um, of course, everyone is kind of feeling the precarity right now from this situation. People are losing work. People are losing income. So completely understandable if you can't. But if if possible, we would certainly appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. All right. Well, that's all the housekeeping. <laughs> Enough of that for now. Um, let's bring on Anna Kasparian. And I think you're really going to enjoy this, this uh, talk with Anna. Obviously, she has a, a lot to uh, get into with, it, with everything happening right now. Uh, and it was a pretty great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. So now we're joined with, uh, by... Let me start that again. <laughs> great start, yeah. great start. So now we're joined by Anna Kasparian from the Young Turks. Anna, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jordan. So we are in a, an absolute hellscape right now. Uh, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. 
and a Democratic primary, uh, hotly contested between a moderate and a progressive. Uh, we figured who better <laughs> to break all of this madness down than uh, than you. So thank you for joining <laughs> us. We're, we're so happy to have you and your expertise. How thank are you holding you. up? Um, I'm, I'm getting by. I'm getting by. I think a lot of people feel um, some level of instability or maybe even panic. Uh, I definitely went through a panic phase yesterday once I realized just how bad coronavirus is going to be for, you know, my personal financial situation. My husband's a bartender, so he does not have any work now. Yeah. So it's difficult. And I mean, I'm in a lucky position because I have a job that is sort of recession proof, I guess, but I do work in independent media. So it's not like I'm raking home the big bucks. Yeah. And it's, we're looking at a situation where a lot of people are possibly going to have a lot less disposable income to spend on things like podcast subscriptions, for example, and, you know, uh, con contributing to independent media. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, right now, TYT is holding this uh, fundraiser to keep us sustainable for uh, the next year. And it's difficult to ask people to contribute uh, any type of donation or contribution yeah. when we know that most people are not able to work right now. Yeah. Right. right. I mean, so th let's... Let's talk about, so we're seeing proposals now for how to, how does the government respond to that? And we've seen uh, now today, Kamala Harris threw her hat in the ring with a $500 uh, per month means tested, uh, somewhat UBI, just a direct cash and infusion to working families. And as we, that, that just, it's couched in all of this means testing language. But on the, on, to her left, uh, progressive champion Mitt Romney is proposing yeah. uh, $1,000 a month for everybody. Um, what, as you've seen these proposals come out, what do you think about how we have people on the right kind of flanking uh, so-called progressive Democrats to their left? It is pretty incredible to see it. So the means testing is something that I understand logically because people get turned off at the idea of someone wealthy collecting any type of universal basic income or any type of stimulus check. But I think that once you start complicating the situation, first off, it's going to take a lot longer for it to pass through Congress. And if it's not a universal program, it's easy for people who don't qualify to reject it. So it creates this, I think, conflict that doesn't need to exist. And it is pretty miraculous to see not only Mitt Romney, but Tom Cotton of all people suggesting, yeah, yeah, let's not complicate this. Let's just give everyone $1,000 a month until this crisis is figured out. Um, now, Cotton did walk back his statement a little bit. His staff said, well, he hasn't really uh, come to a conclusion when it comes to the exact amount. But nonetheless, um, it seems like a less complicated proposal. And I do think that in the short term, it could really be beneficial and helpful to people who are losing quite a bit of money because they're not able to work. Yeah, and it's just, I don't understand what the fuck the Democratic Party is doing right now. And by the way, this is something we talked about like two weeks ago on the show. You know, at some point in the future, uh, because of their sort of obsession with neoliberalism and, and how scandalized they are by just even the mildest social democracy, eventually Republicans are going to figure out this formula, get to the left of the Democratic Party on these economic issues, and that's going to be a huge problem. They're going to they're be able to win a lot of power that way. Uh, when we talked about this, I wasn't really expecting it to happen like two weeks later. Uh, I thought it was more going to be more of a future thing that was going to happen. Um, but that that's the situation that we're looking at right now. And yeah, even when you look I mean, at when you really think about it, even though 
Oh, sorry to interrupt you. I, oh, no, go ahead. It just reminded me of, of something that, you know, people have been talking about for quite some time now. Look, Donald Trump ran on that economic populist messaging. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like he presented like himself as a champion for the average American worker. And even though he was lying and even though he didn't actually follow through on any of his promises to help American workers, I think that that messaging really worked in Trump's favor. And so I already see Republicans um, using economic populism to beat Democrats in various races, including the presidential race. Well, and even when you look at the the bill that the House Democrats just passed, um, so they did. There was a big hubbub about this because they passed this kind of economic stimulus, and then we find out later that that all of the the most successful corporations are exempt from it and a lot of the smaller small businesses so it only covers a like small number of the american workforce and then when people started asking them questions about that because the democrats control the house they could have passed whatever bill they wanted and they said oh no we're just trying to be appear reasonable and we're trying to so they're like already negotiating with themselves before they even uh put everything out there and it's just Right. Like, I see that they've been doing this. This has been the Democratic Party playbook for a while now. But to do it, like, in the midst of this, like, national crisis is insanity. It's just it's incredible to see this. Yeah, it is incredible to see it. But one thing that we need to really reframe both in our rhetoric and our minds is this notion of Democrats being different from Republicans when it comes to economic policy. Because fact of the matter is, Democrats are funded by the exact same donors as Republicans. There might be some differences when it comes to NRA funding, but when when it comes to these massive corporations, when it comes to Wall Street and financial institutions, they certainly don't discriminate when it comes to contributing to campaigns. And so whether it's a Democrat or Republican, you know that these uh, Wall Street CEOs are going to make sure they contribute handsomely to both parties, because when push comes to shove and when you have the type of crisis we're dealing with right now, rather than holding these corporations accountable and these banks accountable for their actions, you're going to have both Democrats and Republicans talk about ways to bail them out and look out for their best interests as opposed to the best interests of the American people. One thing that's driving me crazy right now is how the Trump administration, and I'm sure Democrats are going to sign on to this, is focusing on bailing out the airline industry because coronavirus has halted most travel. But here's the thing. Reporting indicates that major airlines spent more than 50% of their tax cuts on their own shares. So they did corporate stock buybacks. They didn't actually uh, you know, keep reserves for a rainy day, which is what most Americans are you know, expected to do every time there's an economic crisis. Uh, they decided to spend on themselves. They didn't uh, invest in their companies. They didn't invest in their employees. And so now when we do have a rainy day, you have these massive airline companies, which by the way, have been nickel and diming, diming every customer imaginable. <laughs> asking for a bailout. No, you don't get a bailout, sorry. And I understand that these airlines also have employees and it's gonna hurt the employees, but they use employees as like, you know, the bargaining chip when things get bad. But we really need to ask how airlines, with all of the money that they've taken in, with all of the tax cuts that they've been given, find themselves in this precarious economic situation in the first place. 
the one that got me was the the casino the casino industry the casino is looking bailout. for a bailout too yeah absolutely zero essential value to <laughs> any society purely entertainment and, and, and absolutely disposable um and in an industry where the odds are in your favor to profit all you need to do is just get people in the door that's it and, right. and, and that the, it's just so audacious that they're asking for uh, a, a bailout uh when when so many people are going to be struggling, if anything, money should go directly to the casino employees. Yeah, and right, exactly. Another another kind of interesting aspect of this because with all the, with a lot of these industries, uh, made an absolute killing with the Trump tax cuts, uh, delivered a whole bunch of money to these com- to, and profits to these companies, which they then spent on things like stock buybacks. Uh, and now that they're hitting this crisis, they have no liquidity and they need more money, even though that, you know, the whole Trump Trump uh, tax cuts in the first place were designed to immediately give these these companies and these corporations and these industries a bunch of cash. Uh, they squandered that all. And now they're the first to be bailed out now that we're in this like crisis. Right, exactly. So I'm not surprised that our government, which is deeply corrupt, uh, is looking out for corporations more than the average American worker. Uh, but at the same time, like we need to discuss what we need to do as progressives to not only defeat Republicans, like obviously Republicans, for the most part, are the bad guys. But I think people are now starting to wake up to the Democratic Party and how the Democratic Party is very much in bed with the Republican Party when it comes to uh, the crony capitalism that we're all experiencing. The Democrats in office right now, for the most part, not all of them, uh, you know, I'm excluding a few uh, progressives like Katie Porter, for instance. Uh, But for the most part, Democratic lawmakers are not looking out for our best interests and they'll fight progressives harder than they fight the Republican Party. I mean, just take a look at how aggressively Nancy Pelosi went after AOC and other members of the so-called squad. But when it comes to fighting back against Louis Gohmert, right? Like literally the most moronic, like I don't even know if if he has a fully functioning brain. I, I think he's had a lobotomy at some point in his life. How is Nancy Pelosi afraid to fight Louis Gohmert on legislation meant to help the average American worker during this crisis? And it's because she doesn't have the fight in her because she doesn't believe in the fight. When someone genuinely believes in something and they're not corrupted, they go for it full force. Otherwise, what's the point in being in Congress? Right. That's it's it's I mean another example of that that really bothered me was how she stumped and and helped fundraise for um Henry uh, Quaylar in, in in South Texas against Jessica Cisneros, a, a strong progressive, wasn't taking corporate PAC money, but part and this was part partially because the DCCC's uh no uh backing of primary challengers rule and the blacklisting around that and kind of how they protect their own. But this is a guy who voted with Trump 70% of the time. This is a guy who's anti-choice, who was backed by the Koch political network, and she went down and stumped for him in the last minute to help get him over the edge, and it was like a 3,000-vote differential. And then had the idea, the gall, like a week later, to give a speech saying how no matter what, she always backs women. Yeah. Are, you, are yeah. you fucking kidding me? You just helped just put the final nail in the coffin for a young progressive woman of color to get into Congress. You absolute batshit moron. Well, look, I think that this is um, something that we should keep in mind when we discuss strategy moving forward, because 
Unfortunately, we don't have corporate media on our side. And so corporate media would never report a story like that. And so most Americans, especially older Americans, are completely unaware of how Nancy Pelosi has assisted Donald Trump, uh, both when it comes to reelecting Democratic candidates who are friendly to him, but also more importantly, in helping him with his legislative goals. I mean, what really blew my mind was when Pelosi announced that she was going to help the Trump administration pass USMCA, which is essentially a rebranded version of NAFTA, on the same day that they announced Donald Trump's impeachment. So like on one hand, you have Democrats saying, oh, this guy, you know, he's he's terrible. He's violating our Constitution, high crimes and misdemeanors. He's dangerous for our democracy. And then, I don't know, a few hours later, you have Nancy Pelosi saying, I'm I'm pleased to announce that I'm working with the president to help him with this giant legislative goal that he clearly needs for his reelection campaign. I mean, that's the underlying message. A week before that, they gave him like a $750 billion defense budget as well. Allowed that to just sail. Exactly. Good stuff. Great stuff from the Democratic Party there. So we know these things, right? And we know these things because we pay attention to it, it's our jobs, but does the average American really understand the extent to which corporate Democrats are in bed with Republicans like Trump? And I don't think they do. I think that they see the clip of Nancy Pelosi sarcastically clapping at a State of the (laughs) Union address, that gets played on a loop uh, on cable news and people are like, oh yeah, that Nancy Pelosi, she's she's something, She, she really knows how to fight. And then they show her ripping up the papers and it's really the, the aesthetic. Yeah, the clapping and the <laughs> ripping of papers. It's the aesthetic of resistance, but it's not actual resistance. It's all theater. Yeah, it, this is politics as an aesthetic for so many people. Like, There's no substance whatsoever. Um, and, and I think that's like played out. We were talking before you hopped on and like Joe Biden's comments about how he's just going to pick a woman as his vice president. He made no indication of what that woman would stand for or believe in or fight for or what she has done or accomplished. And that that is such a stark contrast to Sanders, who has said this long before Biden ever did, but also that this it would be a progressive woman. And he also didn't even use like a, a, a gender binary, which people didn't really pick up on. He just said someone who is not the same gender as me, which, you know, leaves the door open to a non-binary person or whomever. So that that's another thing that he never got credit for, for but but something he has long stood for is, is gender equity. Um, but right. I think that, that kind of hollow virtue signaling is just just roundly applauded. And then we got the headlines, Biden says he's pick a woman as VP. And people saw Sanders, who again reiterated this progressive uh, qualifier as hedging. It's that he wasn't willing to he wasn't willing to get behind it when, in fact, like I said, he said this on I think on TYT a yeah. year ago. Yes, yeah, he did say it on TYT a year ago. But the difference between Bernie and Biden is that Bernie doesn't use identity politics as a way to advance his political career. Bernie really focuses on issues that resonate across the board and really do improve the lives of Americans, regardless of race, gender, um, sexual orientation. He doesn't see or he doesn't exploit identity for political gain, whereas that's all corporate Democrats have. I mean, if you really dig into their proposals, it's abundantly clear that they're not really offering anything to significantly improve the lives of Americans. The only thing that they're doing is 
exploiting, you know, certain demographics, certain identities in order to appear a little more friendly than Republicans. Um, and it's just, I, I think most young voters have really caught on to that and it's rubbing them the wrong way. I know that as a woman, I've seen um, gender used in all sorts of nefarious ways to destroy certain candidates. Um, you know, obviously, Cenk Uger was called all sorts of crazy names, uh, considered to be this gross misogynist, but not a single reporter in corporate media thought to contact the women who work at TYT. Yeah. Right. And, and ask them, hey, you know what? You work with this person every single day. So does he foster a misogynist environment? Like no one asked that question. No one cared. The only thing they wanted to do was stick to a narrative that would defame a candidate that they don't like because he would actually push for real change and do whatever it takes to make that messaging resonate with most voters in that district. I don't know if that really ended up working. I think name recognition had more to do with that election than anything else. But I think it's pretty sick and insulting to watch my gender get exploited for political gain, especially from people who have no interest in improving my life or the lives of women well, across the country. Well, even with um, with respect to that that comment that Biden made about his, his VP, the rumor that came out immediately after about that was that it was it's leaning towards Klobuchar being his VP. And it can't be stressed enough how much of a fucking disaster that would be. It would be Tim Kaine 2.0, zero effort to like unify with the progressive wing, zero like effort to bring new people into the party. And that, you know, that would, it would be great to have a woman vice president, but like just going forward with a ticket of just a, a woman who's basically just like a centrist, there's no way this like excites people in, in like everything about so far how this Biden campaign looks like it's shaping up. Um, looks like it's just a, a like a gift wrap to Trump, um, who should be extremely vulnerable right now, considering how unpopular he is generally, and also the fact that he's mismanaged this massive crisis they're facing. Uh, but it seems like the Democratic Party is doing everything they can to make sure that he does get reelected. Right, right, exactly. And I mean, when you really think about it, Klobuchar is consistent with Biden's message. I mean, Biden told his wealthy donors that under his watch, nothing would fundamentally change. And that's the exact bill of goods that we're getting from Klobuchar. So it would be consistent. And I I don't know, maybe this is controversial to say, I really don't care about the race or the gender or the sexual orientation of the person representing me. What I do care about is what they represent as candidates, what they're offering to do to fundamentally change a broken system. So if we're gonna have like a Carly Fiorina, um, you know, as a contender, and I'm choosing between her and an old white man who actually offers something that that is better for me, I'm gonna go with the old white man. You know, but we've turned politics into like this gender contest, race contest. It's all about physical appearance and identity as opposed to policy and what people really offer. Yeah. All right. So the the, the race itself, we are we're in an, <laughs> a, a moment where people are now having if you're if you vote today, for instance, you have to decide between voting or, or staying home or but if you do vote risking catching a contagious and possibly lethal disease uh mm -hmm. what is your take on uh that illinois florida and arizona decided to charge ahead and have primaries today and with that we're now seeing 
just a disastrous output. Uh, just people aren't showing up. It, polling stations are closed. Poorly prepared polling stations. What what what, what do you make of all? It's of an this? absolute fucking disaster. Well, yeah, it's definitely a disaster, but. I want to connect two different stories because I think it shows the level of hypocrisy that we're seeing from the Democratic Party. On one hand, you have the first two years of the Trump administration and Democrats constantly fear-mongering about Russian meddling in our elections, right? Now, I think that the Russian meddling did happen. I'm not minimizing that. But the whole framing that we heard from the Democratic Party was, our democracy is so important. We can't allow foreign actors to mess with our democracy. We got to make sure that we maintain uh, the credibility of our elections. And we can't do that unless we, uh, you know, implement these sanctions against Russia and we have consequences for the Trump administration. They spent years focusing on that. And then fast forward to our primary elections for 2020, and you have Joe Biden as the front runner. And I suspect that they just want this primary race to be over, right? They don't care about uh, disenfranchising voters. They don't care that certain individuals have been discouraged from going to the polls. They don't care that it's become um, increasingly difficult for people to even cast their votes because of this coronavirus. They know that their preferred candidate is the front runner and they wanna wrap this up as soon as possible because here's what they know and here's what we know that Bernie Sanders actually offers something desirable to the American people. And so every moment that they don't have Joe Biden locked down is a moment where Democratic voters are possibly considering a better candidate who's offering them something that the Democratic establishment is fundamentally against, something that their donors are fundamentally against. So who gives a shit about democracy when we can just speed this thing up and lock in the candidate that we like and move on with our lives. They do not care about democracy. In fact, any Democrat who's in favor of what's happening today during these primary races can never claim that they value our constitution or our democracy or our freedoms, okay? They have absolutely no leg to stand on when it comes to the anti-democratic practices of other countries. They have no business judging, let's say, Evo Morales in Bolivia, because we have our own issues with so-called democracy in this country. And it's not just Republicans, it's certainly corporate Democrats who are just pushing this along, even though they know voters are being disenfranchised. And to that front, the the DNC just came out today and said, if you uh, are if you are a state that pushes your primary back, uh, you risk uh, being dinged. You get a delegate penalty. So they're like actively punishing people for following the CDC guidelines uh, and putting people's health before their scheme to just thrust Biden into the nomination. This is just absolutely reprehensible and really exposes all of this like, oh, we're pro-science, we believe in science bullshit. It just like, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, when they have a craven political opportunity, they're gonna take it. It doesn't matter if people's lives get in the way. Yeah, and I've seen yeah, people I've exactly. seen people criticizing Tom Perez over this too. And then I see, I've seen pushback against that saying, well, the, the DNC doesn't control these state elections. But if they put their foot down and said, we've got to postpone these elections, like surely the, the Democratic Party establishment has some kind of sway in these states. Clearly, they have no interest in doing that. And as you pointed out, Anna, after today, certainly 
by the time people are listening to this, there will be voices already to call to shut down the rest of the primary. They're going to say, we got, we made it halfway. Biden's winning. It's over. We're going to shut it down now. That's absolutely the play. And I'm sorry, but this process just has no fucking legitimacy whatsoever. Um, and like there, right. and there's going to be a huge outcry over this and, and they deserve what, whatever happens afterwards. Well, one thing that I don't really think they're considering is how if Trump does not get reelected, right? Let's say Biden wins all the electoral votes he needs and he's now the incoming president. Do you really think that Trump's going to accept those results? And don't you think that there's a possibility that he's going to cite what's happening today and the voters being disenfranchised as an issue, right? Like if he, if he, he'll latch onto anything to argue that the results are illegitimate. And so I'm concerned about that too, right? So let's say in the Democratic Party's best case scenario, they just push Biden through, he's the Democratic nominee, and miraculously his brain doesn't malfunction during a debate with Trump and he beats Trump in the general election. I don't think Trump is going to accept those results. And I think he's going to talk about all of the issues that the Democratic Party has had when it comes to its primary voting and possibly, you know, voter disenfranchisement, like moving forward in the general election, because I'm sure that that's going to happen. Yeah. The, the, the thing that bothers me is these groups that put out this public letter, a uh, bunch of them, and Ryan Grimm has been doing great a great job tracking this. They all championed uh, people's ability to vote, and a lot of them are voting rights groups, and they're saying, yeah, we should solve the in-person primaries, uh, just wipe down the voting machines. Well, that doesn't matter if the, vo- if the virus can hang out in the air and linger in the air for hours after. Like, the, you still risk spreading it. Um, and when you have crowds of people coming and going, uh, that you're, you're just contributing to a catastrophe uh, so to see these same groups now today are putting out like oh we, we're seeing issues uh we're seeing issues of polling locations closing uh we call this call our, our voter hotline number yeah uh, if you have an issue well no shit you knew this was coming and again i just it, it boggles my mind that they're willing to contribute to this pandemic and lead people into knowing knowingly lead people into unsafe situations that could it risk risk getting them sick or in worst cases dying especially when you have the most reliable voting block uh the older generations like the silent generation and and boomers most susceptible to this virus and you risk killing off some of your most reliable voters going into the general election it's just i cannot comprehend it for life of me and the only thing i can figure out why they're doing this as we've talked about earlier is just that they want they want biden that's yeah, it. Well, they want to lock it down. That's the really ludicrous thing, isn't it? Is that every every action that the Democratic Party has taken, like throughout this whole process, um, w- in conjunction with the media, in many cases, just putting every resource they have to put their finger on the scale is just to make sure that they don't support this like very mild form of social democracy that Bernie's championing policies that would be really, really helpful to a lot of people, to millions of people, and would be very, very popular if the Democratic Party embraced these kinds of things. They're so opposed to just doing even this bare minimum step that they've gone through this entire like ludicrously undemocratic process to make sure that it doesn't happen. And like, what is the result of this? Like the younger generation, the people that have like been inspired by Bernie and gotten excited about this movement, they've, they're very clearly are interpreting everything that's happening right now. They're completely turning this entire generation off of ever voting for the democratic party at any time in the future. And you saw even after that debate, um, 
you had Biden's advisor going on TV saying like, oh, he he dealt with this this like uh, protester basically at one of his events. They just don't even res- like they have they don't even respect uh, the movement in the in the beginning in the first place. They're like they're not only are they putting their thumb on the scale to make sure that they win, but they're bragging about it in the meantime. I don't know what the fuck they expect to happen. It's going to be a disaster. Right. Yeah, I, I, they can't. This is my. Uh, suspicion. I think that the corporate Democrats absolutely hate young voters. I think they hate us with a passion because not only do we want fundamental change, but we're very aware of what's going on. I mean, if you go on Twitter, and I know that Twitter has its downfalls, but what I'm always really impressed by is just how in-depth young people research these issues and how quickly they spread videos, uh, maybe some congressional footage to do the type of fact checking that the corporate media should be doing. So we're very aware of what's going on. We're aware of what these candidates have done in the past, what their records look like, what they voted on. And corporate Democrats have been used to uh, using identity politics to just get ahead without really having to answer to all of the terrible legislation that they've been in favor of in the past, like Joe Biden and the bankruptcy bill. It, it's incredible to me how every time it comes up on the debate stage, which I, I admit it has not come up as much as I would have liked it to, but every time it does, he seems shocked that anyone's paying attention to that or, or knows about that. He never has an answer for it. Uh, in the last debate, all he could do is deny his bankruptcy bill when, I mean, come on, it's just out there. It's so obvious. And so young people are aware of it and they keep spreading the information. And I mean, the jig is up for corporate Democrats when it comes to younger voters. And I think that rather than listen to us and think about changing their platforms and, and actually looking out for the working class, they've decided to fight us. And that might work this time around, um, but I don't think it's going to be like a long-term sustainable solution for them. And we gotta get them out. We gotta primary them, we gotta vote them out of office. Uh, but more importantly, I think that progressives need to do a better job in mobilizing both in the media and in their political activism. And we need to be laser focused on economic justice. I know that there are a lot of other issues um, that are, you know, it's all intertwined, but economic justice is something that appeals to everyone across the board, regardless of political ideology. And so we need to do whatever we can and we need to be more strategic in mobilizing working americans to not only fight the republican party but also fight corporate democrats as well we know you're pressed on time uh but we want to give you like a formal goodbye (laughs) Mm -hmm. where can where can people find you online and plug whatever you want sure so um i'm on the young turks monday through friday you can check us out at 6 p.m eastern time at tyt.com live and i'm on social media twitter facebook all of that at anna kasparian great anna thank you so much for joining us thank you i really enjoyed it thank you for listening to the insurgents please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps, and please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful, and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban, so please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week 
with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye.